0: it's go time previously on third down gamble the other thing that i guess it would do it would make for a great future episode dawn if this continues for a long time and we were to make the conjecture that all players are released it's who's your first pick who you who are you building your team around on your o-line on your d-line it would be an interesting potential topic
1: welcome back everyone and this week i'm just going to touch a little bit on what we talked about last week we were talking about article 16 of the cfl contract and whether there'd be a season no season all that sort of stuff mark kohan weighed in about <laughs> playing in front of empty stadiums on on three down nation he said you'd have to cut your costs you'd you could probably get the game filmed as it were and then produce it for television and go that route. He thought that might be a viable option. Thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, Mark Cohan, I mean, he obviously knows as a former
0: CFL commissioner what he's talking about. I still don't know if that would be enough in terms of revenue to cover player expenditures. I guess it's going to depend if it's prorated and if, if TSN is hungry for um, live action sports, then, then they might even bump their contract up at, at least temporarily through the COVID situation. So then it may become financially viable. So as a fan, I'd love to see it, done.
1: I would too. I I think it would be very awesome. I would love to be in the stadium as well. But of course, we have to be be permissible that we could get in there. And if that doesn't come to pass, then yes, we will have to sit in front of the tube or in front of our iPhones or in front of our... Mm -hmm tablets of some sort and watch the games so as andrew from the empire has always said it'd be an absolute boon to tsn go subscriptions i, I would uh, think
0: that people would be dying for something to watch so i mean at any point whenever live sports comes back in and hopefully it is in time for the cfl season i think people will want to see it so as you said uh there's going to be new ways of doing things and new ways of accessing things, which we've seen throughout this whole COVID-19 situation, technology and online uh, access.
1: Well, we've heard the CFL in, in its 2.0 program trying to be innovative. And in a crisis, it often demands that we become innovative because you have to respond to a crisis in so many different ways, so many different levels. So not only do you have to respond health-wise, but you also have to get creative about revenue streams and you have to get creative about keeping your product in people's minds. If they can figure out a way, even if it was worst case scenario, you have to having nobody in the stadium, TSN maybe gets a creative way of saying, okay, well, maybe we can up our payment to you if we do this, that, and the other thing, whatever those may be, they probably have a lot of options available to them then it may be for the first X number of weeks of the season, empty stadiums until we get going.
0: And, and I mean, that we've talked about it before on the show, the ability to put a large groups of people in is, is way down the road when we deal with the resumption of normal life at the end of COVID and, uh, you know, if that's the way that we can get sports on TV or onto the internet, you know, TSN Go or even like the NFL has experimented with the zone in the past, uh, That's those are ways that we're going to want to be able to access. And the hope is that we can get there because I, I mean, I love watching the, the replays on TSN, but it's nothing like the live game.
1: I would feel very much the same, to be quite honest. It's much more exciting to have the unknown in front of you and to really look at a game and just be cheering for whomever that you happen to be cheering for that night without knowing that this result was given five years ago. Yep, I I love the fact that we've got Friday night double headers. It certainly fills the gaps. I'm still in my heart of hearts thinking that come September, we're going to be in stadium to watch games. COVID will not be gone, but I kind of think, And this is just my speculation. The thought processes are looking toward a universe where we can still do most of what we could do before COVID is still there. And what they're going to try to do is stamp it out the moment any case comes up. I guess, you know, uh, we are
0: seeing right now across Canada, governments starting to take a look at how return to normal life will look, they're trying to come up with plans. And that starts with you know, the resumption of just everyday life, uh, the the businesses that are non-essential coming back on, potential reopenings of school, that's when you're going to start looking at larger groups, right? Big business and large schools.
1: Then they'll have a bit of an idea of how COVID affects us from there. What they're thinking about, because it's all about patterns. It's all about where this started. Who did you talk to? Who did you meet? What? Where was the gathering? Other sources of transmission. If you can always nip it in the bud, then you don't exacerbate the health system and you can mitigate before it ever gets to somebody susceptible. You hope it's always a risk. Mm-hmm. It's something that every health professional, what is the best way to keep everybody safe? Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it's a challenge. It, understanding who has it, you know, there's some people who are asymptomatic, it seems like still, and, and that's going to be the issue. Uh, you know, you go into a large group and and one or two people are asymptomatic, they can spread that disease very quickly. And then instead of flattening or reducing the curve, we're right back to where we were. And I think you want to make sure when you're planning that you do it right so that that you've got everything in place where you don't have to go back into what we are now, kind of a big pause, and you can move forward in a productive manner and get back to
1: at least a partial resumption of normal life. And if you can find that then you may be able to get everything that you want from it. Timelines, it ain't going to happen soon. But I just wonder if by September, this is a hope of hopes of mine, that (laughs) this curve will be going the other way very quickly and that maybe, maybe, maybe there's some sort of treatment that is out there, not necessarily a vaccine, but some sort of treatment Mm -hmm. that gives us the opportunity to say, hey, I can go to a football game.
0: Absolutely. Treatment. Testing, the ability for someone to quickly find out whether or not they're they're carrying is, is definitely it. So I'm with you. Fingers crossed for September. Fingers crossed for this year as a whole in the CFL that we can get to uh, see the games either on TV or in the stadiums as soon as possible.
1: Remember, for proper social distancing, if you are close enough to shake hands, you are too close. The recommended distance is 2 metres. Second
0: down. Well, Don, one of the things that I guess we want to discuss now is the uh, two-quarterback rule that has come into place. Last year, uh, teams could dress uh, three quarterbacks or four, and 44 players or two quarterbacks and, and 45, I think it was.
1: Yes, that is correct. That's
0: going to impact, I think, a little bit more this year when you have teams now only dressing two as, as they traditionally in the past few uh, years, maybe even decades, have been able to dress three without having penalty. This way, your quarterback, if you have a third string that you're carrying, probably has to pick another spot on the roster to be able to maybe play
1: special teams or something as well. We saw that with the Rough Riders last year. Brian Bennett was that person that uh, was an up-back on punt team, mm-hmm. but he was cut by the team in the off season, which was an interesting move, given that he had the dual role within the team. So... Yes, you would think that the number one criteria for a third-string quarterback, if they were going to be rostered, was they'd have to be able to play another position on the field and then be called or pressed into service only if the need be. Mm -hmm. So it does impact the team in one sense, because I'm sure a third quarterback's salary chews up a bit of change, and that probably frees up some money for another player, to get paid a little bit more, or a couple players to get a few more ducats into their wallet. You make a very salient point there because the
0: quarterbacks are highest paid, and even a backup quarterback is going to be paid more than a backup linebacker who's playing special teams, I would think. So that will allow the teams to potentially play a little bit with their with their salary cap.
1: It'll help them with it. I don't know that it'll make that much of a significant impact, but it will allow you some flexibility and any flexibility when it comes to that size of a roster is always nice because you've got to find the money to pay everybody otherwise you're just going to have this constant turnover that would just drive you insane so if you don't have enough money because it's you have to think of sort of the term of this thing you sign a player for a year two years let's say that player performs well now they want to get paid because they've been performing you have first dibs to pay them before anybody else does you've got to be thinking about that all the time you've got to grow the team and by growing the team that means you got to keep your veterans together and if you're going to do that then you've got to have room in the cap to make it happen Here's
0: a question for you then, Don. If teams are only going to be dressing two, are there going to be teams that are going to want to take a former quarterback and roster him in a different position? Let's say on Amante Edwards or uh, I think the Riders, um, their, their corner.
1: Marshall is the gentleman that you're trying to think of. That's it.
0: Thank you. Their, their corner. Um, he plays quarterback as well. Have a third-string quarterback potentially on roster so that you can make sure that you have uh, someone to potentially play in the event that the two quarterbacks preceding them on the depth chart get injured because that has happened in games, done.
1: Yes, you're exactly right. And I think even last year we saw it one time where we had a situation where the third-string quarterback came in. And I think you're right. I think you're going to see a little bit more of an emphasis, especially if you're not considering that as a player to be groomed into the starting role, then I think you might look at a dual-role player. And the names that you mentioned certainly fit the bill. Bennett is another one that did play for the Riders that fit the bill. Mm -hmm. You You can certainly look at that. And then you think of them as just an emergency player then that's fine.
0: In the event, and we've seen that, so let, let's use an example, Caleros goes down early in a game and the backup quarterback also gets injured. Uh, if that were to happen before half, it would be kind of painful, I would think, to be watching uh, someone who has no training as a quarterback having to play that position.
1: Well, you're almost going back to the 2007 Grey Cup. Uh, Ryan Dinwiddie, mm-hmm. with basically no experience, gets thrown into the Grey Cup. That's exactly the situation that you don't want. You want somebody with some experience to be able to handle that situation. It's kind of an interesting dilemma coming up because if you're going to only have two quarterbacks, you probably want your one and two to have either some assets from the league from before or somebody that you think is a can't-miss prospect that will ultimately be a starter and a real good performer for your team. Beyond that, with that third-string spot that used to be rostered, Now they're on the development squad or the practice squad, or are they a dual role player that you have on the field? It's up to you as a GM and a coach to decide how you want to approach that. So which way do you go? I would honestly, if I'm if I'm a GM, I would lean
0: and, and a coach, I guess as well. I would lean towards having that person potentially rostered. A lot of quarterbacks are outstanding athletes who could play special teams, who could don a different set. Uh, you're potentially risking a quarterback again. They could get injured on one of those too, but. At least if you've got someone in that position, it doesn't put you in that situation where your your starter goes out quickly, your backup's either not performing or gets injured, and you potentially have a third option, at least on your roster.
1: Well, we've been talking about in past episodes looking at the quarterbacking in the CFL, and if you think back to the 1960s, you had players that were dual-role players. Ronnie Lancaster... If he wasn't quarterbacking, he was a defensive back with the Ottawa Rough Riders. Uh, Russ Jackson started that way as well. You had Joe Zuger with the Ticats that you were going to be in two positions. You could be a wingback, a receiver, and a quarterback, but more times than not you were probably on the defensive side of the ball it, it
0: it takes you back to you know high school almost mentality right when when you're a high school player often teams will play their outstanding athletes two ways and, and the quarterback often is an outstanding athlete with the ability to run and throw and often can do more than just that as well so they they're playing so i think this will make you look for athletes when you're when you're head coach and and find athletes that can play dual positions including the quarterback or at least someone who was a backup quarterback we did talk about quarterbacks of the 1960s I guess you've you've mentioned a number of them we said we'd go through some of the quarterbacks and uh past decades and, and the impact they've had on the CFL I know you've been doing a lot of research on these or um watched a number of old uh YouTube videos of CFL games. So let, let's talk about quarterbacks in the 1960s, Don. Who do you see as being the
1: quarterbacks that impacted the CFL during that time? I think if you're looking at the ones that were the most significant during that era, I'm, I'm thinking that Bernie Filoni, who started in Edmonton in the 50s mm-hmm. and then really found his way with Hamilton in the 60s, led them to a series of Grey Cups, would be... Certainly one player. I think Joe Zuger, who the guy who basically, if Filoni was starting, Zuger was on the other side of the ball when Filoni was ultimately traded. Then Zuger took over, and again, Cats were going to Grey Cups. You had Joe Cap, of course, who started in Calgary, went to BC, back to Calgary, then wound up in BC again. And with BC, mm-hmm. won a Grey Cup with them, and then he went to the NFL – Pete Lisk, another Stampeder quarterback, phenomenal stats in the late 60s, but then went to the NFL for a few years. So you've got all of those people, Ronnie Lancaster, uh, Jackie Parker. Mm -hmm. He was still playing football well into the 60s. He started the decade with Edmonton and then finished uh, after a break in British Columbia. He was traded to Toronto, which I'm sure stunned a lot of people when that happened. And the whole idea, like the quarterbacks of the day – They had much more control of the game, I would say. They would read the defense. They could call their own plays. What the coach saw themselves doing was teaching them and coaching them up to play the game. Once the game started, that was your job to do what you were coached to do. You would see a receiver run into the field and hand in a play or something like that. But more times than not, a veteran quarterback would be managing and calling his own game.
0: And, uh, you know, that was the game I agree with you I didn't watch many games in the 60s Uh, I've only seen them on occasional clips so I I mean I don't feel I'm uh, able to speak on some of the top quarterbacks but I think you know when we've talked about this in this second down having two quarterbacks on the team that was the norm back then and having quarterbacks who could play extra positions was also the way that many of them got into the league and then as you say I think that the quarterback on the field was more of a coach as well they could take the feedback from the receivers and, and the linemen as to what's going on and, and call and design plays almost in the huddle, It's like grabbing it with your writing it in the sand and figuring it out. And we know this will work. Yeah. Interesting time for sure.
1: Well, we didn't have the specialization of coaches in the sixties that the CFL has now. Again, if you're at practice, the head coach is telling the offense, this is what I want. And they might've had an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator and Basically, they were setting out expectations, teaching the plays that they could run, and then it was up to the quarterback to get the team to run them well when they were out on the field. Mm -hmm. And one of the masters, Russ Jackson, I mean, what, four great cups in the decade, three wins? A Canadian on top of that, out of McMaster? We just don't see that anymore in terms of that kind of control. You see every once in a while nowadays a guy with a few years in the league will audible. Mm-hmm. He'll see something, recognize, audible. Claris is good for that. So it's something that we just, we're so used to having the offensive coordinator dictate terms out there. And 50 years ago, 60 years ago, they coached him up, prepped him, do your job.
0: Third down gamble. Well, Don, in third down, we are going to cover a few uh, little tidbits, and let's start with an interesting one. I know we've, we've on occasion, spoken about the league that shall not be named, but uh, it's come back in the news for some
1: wacky new lawsuits. Well, I don't know if the lawsuits are wacky. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things when you close up shop sometimes there's some loose ends and one of them in this case is Oliver Luck, the commissioner of the uh, now defunct XFL, is suing Vince McMahon for contract monies. You know,
0: first of all, my question is why would you sign someone to a five-year contract? I mean, I did start in 2018, so you've got the two years prior, but boy, that's very optimistic thinking uh, given the track record of leagues in the United States making more than two years.
1: I think that's a sign of optimism that you want to have a long-term deal with somebody that you believe in. And as such, you want to keep them around. So if you give them a long enough tenure, they're more apt to say, okay, I'm committed for this enterprise for the long haul. And I'm open to going through the rough times as well as the good times. The fact that the XFL couldn't make one season certainly makes people wonder why would you sign for such a long time. Mm -hmm. You can't fault a person for trying that, though, because ultimately you can't go into a situation expecting failure. You have to plan for success.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: I mean, for me, this is wacky because he's not suing the league, which
0: has since folded and laid off all of its employees in April. He is suing
1: Vince McMahon which is interesting. I'm, I'm not sure he'll be successful, but <laughs> well, we'll see. We're talking about all these hits from COVID. I, I don't know if the WWE is still performing anywhere. And yeah. you got to imagine that that empire is taking a beating right now. Well, I think financially, it's uh,
0: like any leagues, it's, it's going to take a hit as well. And so we'll see if McMahon is able to win this case and uh, move forward. But, uh, I mean, we do know now with the XFL closing, there's been a few more signings. We've spoken previously about uh, Monte Edwards being signed, but we had a couple of other announcements this week, Don. What what are your thoughts about the people returning to the CFL?
1: Well, Sergio Castillo coming back to the Lions. Absolutely. The other one was Jalen Saunders, who last played in the CFL with the Tiger Cats. And and was outstanding, yeah. And Yeah, but he had a horrific knee injury that ended his season in... And really, 2019 was a nothing season to him. Once that knee became strong enough to go, then it was pretty late in the year and the Ticats were already on their way.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Ottawa is going to need some... some good receiver so if he's able to recover from that that injury and and uh, I didn't really see him in the XFL I wasn't really watching the XFL um, but I mean if he's if he put enough on tape to show that he's been recovered and Ottawa's willing to take a chance on him I'd like to see him return to form because he was an outstanding performer in the CFL.
1: Absolutely he was he was a deep threat he was a possession threat he really complimented that Tiger Cats offense and with him coming there that now suddenly bolsters him and that police knows how to work a passing game into his offense so I'm not at all surprised that he would go after somebody like this he does I'm excited to see him back we wish him uh,
0: a strong return and and return to health because he is an exciting player and definitely makes the games worth watching speaking of good news stories though there's also one coming out of uh, signing from a former CFL player signing in the NFL we have Liram Haralahu signed with the Los Angeles Rams that's a great story for him
1: yeah he's Definitely uh, performed well in the CFL over the years. Uh, He's played with a couple of different teams, but he's always been consistent. Hasn't had the strongest of legs, but I think in the NFL that's less of an issue. The bigger one is accuracy, and I think he has that going for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the team. I think that uh, he's got everything that you'd want in a kicker, especially from 35 to 40 in. He is money. He is, and I think, uh, you know, we wish him all the best. And then, of course, coming up at the end of the month is another opportunity for players to participate in the CFL, and that is through the entry draft of the CFL. Still scheduled for April the 30th? I'm thinking it's going to go ahead. Obviously, it's going to be different when we couldn't bring people to
0: combines and and do the testing. A lot more now relies on seeing game film and and, uh, the players making their own tests, I guess, or videos of, of what they've been able to do in the combine type of situation. So it will be different, but everyone's on the same playing field. So I think it will be interesting to see where some of the top
1: Canadian prospects land. Well, in this world of FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, there probably were a lot of interviews with players over the last few weeks trying to get a sense of what type of person they were, what their goals were, and how they would gel with the team that was already on the field. So I don't think that GMs are going into this blind. I do believe that they've done their homework as best they can. Mm -hmm. So I really do think that this draft, even though it'll be mitigated by the fact that you just haven't had the time physically to see that person perform in a combine or in some other theater, you have had an opportunity to see them play college ball And with that, I think you probably have enough on tape to understand. And then you can always check with coaches. You can check with uh, somebody else that you trust around the organization from where they came. And you have probably enough information that you can make a very uh, strong point for drafting player X over player Y. Uh, Agreed, Don.
0: And I think this will be interesting in the fact that we may uncover some diamonds in the rough. I mean, at the Combines, there's always players who will either... Uh, drop tremendously based on their performance at the combine, or or some that are surprising and come up and move way up. So uh, it will be interesting
1: to see where some diamonds in the rough fall coming out of this draft in a few years. There's always somebody drafted in the sixth round that becomes a CFL superstar, mm-hmm. and it just it just seems to be that it's not an exact science. You just don't know. There's so many factors that come into it, and injuries are the biggest. You just don't know that somebody's going to... There's so many p- good players that just never got the chance because of freak accidents or whatever. Well,
0: and and uh, anytime there is a freak accident, sometimes that gives someone an opportunity as well. You know, a young Canadian who hasn't maybe been uh, with the team for long all of a sudden gets forced into a bigger role, whether that be on special teams or actually making the field for, for some of the plays in the field, uh, maybe bring someone to a forefront that wouldn't be there otherwise. So it's an exciting time for all the young men who've been working hard to have a shot in the CFL. When that draft comes, I don't care if it's not done the same way. It's an exciting day for those players.
1: Well, I think back to uh, the time that the CFL had the draft at the Centennial Auditorium in Saskatoon. And I remember Gene Makowski getting drafted there by the Saskatchewan Roughriders, and he was a late round pick. And look what he turned out to be. So there's nothing saying that if you come in a later round that you're not going to be on a team in five years all it comes down to is how much work ethic do you have how much desire do you have and how much are you willing to put in to perform when the opportunity arrives
0: absolutely don and uh, you know on the other side we have seen those busts in the first round guys that are highly touted that really don't don't play or teams hold on them for two or three years and then they're they disappear. I'm excited to see who comes from this draft onto the various
1: teams, and, and hopefully we'll see some of them playing, hopefully, this year. Fingers are still crossed for September, dawn. Well, I think if I cross enough fingers and toes, maybe some luck will come our way and the CFL will be playing. But look at the Scouting Bureau's uh, rankings of uh, draft picks and uh, just before this draft, give some thoughts on it and see if we have any sense of where this is going to play out. <laughs>
0: you know, I it's unfortunate that the... Um, U-sports aren't um, highlighted as often because we don't see many of the players in action. But uh, yeah, we can certainly take some guesses. <laughs> It'll be interesting to go back in a few years and find out how
1: close we are, Don. Well, the one thing that has always impressed me are guys like Marshall Ferguson, the, the CFL Scouting Bureau. Mm-hmm. They do a ton of work. They do. And there is no stone unturned. So I'm really convinced that if you really do your homework, you'll know what you're getting. I'm going to have to uh, get on and follow some of those guys because
0: I'm sure there'll be a lot of stories coming up about some of the young men who are going to be moving to the various CFL
1: teams. Follow CFL.ca or 3 Down Nation. There's a lot of bios going on right now giving you a sense of who these people are. We will check that one out. Thank you for listening to our show. 3rd Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. 3rd Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T H I R D D O W N G A M B L E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio. Worth watching.